up, what's up, what's up, Transit Church? Good morning to everybody. Uh, the few of us in here, but all of you out there, uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor for Transit Church. We're glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. More importantly, if you're with us for the first time, we say hello. I hope that you have been encouraged uh, through our worship through song, and I hope that we would continue to encourage you as we are opening God's Word today. Um, I'm going to be in Psalm 77 today, so grab your Bible, grab your app. We're going to actually show some of the Scripture verses on the screen behind me, if you can see that as well. We're going to be in Psalm 77, as is our tradition. Even if you're at home, we're going to read these few verses out loud. Uh, 20 verses for us in Psalm 77. Read with me. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan with, when I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn me forever Will and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among your peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the waters trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You, were led, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we pause to say thank you. Thank you for the technology to, to meet. Uh, though there are a few in here, there are several out uh, receiving this through Facebook Live. And so we, we have to say thank you for the technology of our day. Uh, we are mostly thankful for your word. It inspires us, it encourages us, and it in many ways challenges us. God, today as we approach your word, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us through it. By your word, God, that you would reveal the emotions of our heart. Lord, our confession today is that sometimes our hearts are fickle. Jeremiah said it right, that our hearts can deceive us. And so well, we can tell you our wants and our needs, but sometimes we can't even discern what those wants and needs actually are. But you do because you search the hearts of men. You see through what we say. You see through even our emotions to what we really need. And so we pray that you give us that this morning through your word. God, that you lead us, draw us to Jesus and that we would see him uh, high and lifted up. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So Transit Church, if you've been with us for a little bit, you know, we uh, throughout much of the winter, we were in a sermon series in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Uh, last week, we halted that just to address 
just the chaos of our, the, the current life that we live in amidst the coronavirus. And so for the last two weeks, we've been looking at a few psalms, uh, particularly psalms of lament. Here's what my experience has been with the psalms. Psalms are poetry, but they're also songs. Uh, whenever you look at the book of psalms in your Bible, God neatly fits them right in the middle of our Bible as the songbook for our faith. Uh, underneath the title is usually a, uh, a subtitle, and oftentimes it gives us the purpose of that psalm or a little bit of history behind it. And many of the, many of the, the words in the subtitles will tell us that um, that these are given to a choir master and meant to be sung. And so these really are songs for our hearts to sing in the various uh, situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so uh, we are taking a break, looking at the Psalms to address uh, our current day issues. Next week is Palm Sunday, and we will turn to uh, sort of an Easter theme for the following two weeks. And then after that, if you've been tracking with us, we perhaps will return to Daniel in a few more weeks. Let me uh, begin by this. Here's an important thought. If you and I only had happy songs to think, happy thoughts to, to think, then it's pretty true that we couldn't think or sing to God about most of our lives. Because if you look at it rightly, most of our lives are filled with hard things, aren't they? Sometimes seemingly unbearable things. Think about that for a second. Of, of all the times that you've found yourself in a situation and you actually don't have the words to pray when you're in the midst of that situation. Like you can't form anything, you can't get anything to come out of your mouth. You have nothing to say. You're at a loss for words. And I think that gives us the importance of the Psalms in our Bible. And I think it's the part of the graciousness and the kindness of God that he would uh, have these inspired words from the Psalms writing about the, the course of their own lives to give us words to pray and even words to sing as we are living our lives and particularly when we lack our own words to pray and to sing. And that really is what we're looking at today. Last week we looked at Psalm 13, uh, one of the uh, primary psalms of lament in our Bibles. And today we're also looking at another psalm of lament. This is Psalm 77. One author defined lament as a loud cry, a howl. I don't know if humans howl too much, but definitely think of an animal that may be trapped in a trap and he can't loose himself. And so he's howling, uh, expressing his inability to do what he normally would do. A lament is a passionate expression of grief. I think the thing to note about lament in your, in your Bibles is that lament is more than just the sorrow of talking about our sadness. It's more about walking through the stages of grief, even the loss of someone that you know and love. Throughout the scriptures, lament gives voice to the strong emotions that we sometimes feel based upon the sufferings of our lives. Lament wrestles with the struggles that surface in all of our lives. And Lament typically asks two questions. The first is, like, where are you, God? Like, I, I need you, I want you, I'm, I'm, stuff is going on and I can't discern where you are. The second question is, all right, Lord, if you love me, why in the world am I suffering like I am? Why in the world is this happening to me? And yet what the Psalms point us to, what it leads us to, what the Psalms demonstrate is that lament is a part of the pathway toward hope. That's what the psalmist 
typically end up in our scriptures. And that's what the psalmist is helping us to do as well, that our, our lament, that our pain, that our suffering would, uh, would lead us to hope. In the process of laying out our complaints to God, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust, to trust in, not in our own ability to, to, to pull ourselves up, but our trust in God, that he hasn't left us, he's not forsaken us, that he's with us, he's drawing near, and he's going to see us through. That's what we'll see in Psalm 77. And I want to point out four things, four encouraging things that I think we can see in this, in this psalm in particular. And the first is that the psalmist encourages us to keep praying. The psalmist encourages us that regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how hard your life might be in the moment, keep, keep praying. To admit is to push your heart toward God in your pain. And the way that we do that is through our prayers. To learn how to lament then means that we have to resolve to talk to God. Look at verse one. I cry aloud, the psalmist says, and he repeats himself aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I think the thing not to miss is that though the psalmist is in pain, he's not silent. He's got this situation going on. He's suffering. He's not silent, though. But he's not just complaining or talking or whimpering to God. He's actually praying aloud. That means out loud. He's vocalizing his prayer. He's not just praying out loud. He's crying tears in the day, sobbing in the night. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message says the, the, the first verse of this of this scripture verse, he says, I yell out to God. Can you imagine yelling to God that your situation is so severe that you're like yelling to the Lord? I yell out to God. I yell with all of my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. And in Eugene Peterson's translation, he says, and the Lord listens. Unfathomable. I think if this man, if this psalmist had been in his house and we were there with him, Ain't no doubt about it. We would have heard him praying. We would have heard him pleading. Perhaps you have someone in your life that's like this, that like morning and night, they're on their knees in their bedroom, in their prayer closet, and they're crying out to the Lord. They're crying out for the things going on uh, in their own life, perhaps crying out, pleading with God over their own sin, crying out to God for on behalf of the things going on in the family. The psalmist says with loud cries, he lifts up his voice. It's interesting. Hebrews 5 uh, tells us that what Jesus did on the cross was this very thing. Hebrews 5 verse 7, the Lord Jesus with loud cries and tears lifted up his voice to God. I think that reminds us that our prayers need to be earnest, that even in the direst of situations, we can and should verbalize, we should vocalize our prayers and what verse two is really describing as a dark night of the soul. And more than that, this says that prayers of lament take faith. It takes faith for us to pray in the midst of our pain, in the middle of the messy struggle of our lives. And when we have more questions than we have answers, it requires us to open up our hearts to God in ways that for some of us, uh, can, can feel more vulnerable than we want to be. It, re, it can require us to, to, to be more courageous than we, choo we ordinarily choose to be. We're being invited to be honest, to be open, and to assume risk. 
But there's actually something that would be far worse than us actually opening ourselves up to God and assuming that risk. And that something far worse is that we would remain silent, that we would, like we talked about last week, um, resolve to just wallow in our despair, the, the silent despair of, of closing our lips to God, of, of stifling ourselves. To, to give God the silent treatment, to hold God in angst and, and live hopelessly in resignation that God doesn't hear me, that he doesn't care, and, and that he's not going to respond. I wonder how many of us trans church have stopped speaking to God about our pain. Perhaps you're disappointed because God hasn't answered you in the time frame that you needed or wanted him to answer you. I wonder how many of us are frustrated by how out of control our circumstance might seem to be in and of our own uh, understanding. It's so easy to wind up in the spiritual desert, unable or even refusing to talk to God. One author said, silence can be a soul killer. And here's what silence towards God lends to. It, it makes us more numb. It makes our heart more callous. We, we become more indifferent about our situation. And then we toss up our arms and we say, if God doesn't care, why should I? Maybe you're one of those who've been given, who's given God the silent treatment. Maybe you just don't know what to say. Perhaps there's a particular issue or struggle that you feel that you feel like you just can't talk to God about it. It feels too painful. Here's what the, the psalmist is encouraging us. He's encouraging us to start praying again. He also is encouraging us to pray our struggles. Look at the latter half of verse 2. My soul refuses to be comforted, the, the psalmist says. When I remember God, I moan. Like, moan. Like, I have no words. Mm. When I meditate, my spirit thanks. Selah. Selah is an interesting word in the Bible. It's out, almost undefinable. It's a musical term, most commentators think. It's, uh, it's a note to the choir master who's going to set the words of the psalmist to music, and it's uh, usually translated as, all right, pause here and think about what's being said. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled, I can't even speak. This is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph, a prominent psalmist in our, in our Bibles. And, and Asaph is so low at this point in his life that the very thought of God troubles him. He doesn't know what God is doing in his experience. He can't explain it. He's puzzled by what's happening in his life. He feels far from God as if God is actually against him. And so the very thought of God troubles him. Think of how dreadful that is. That, that your situation is so dire, you can't even, don't even want to think about God because it troubles you. And of course, the suggestion here is, the, the psalmist is saying, perhaps God is the one that's initiated his struggle, has initiated his trouble. The trouble is coming from God. So he's praying, he's crying, howling. There's no comfort. His prayers are hitting the ceiling. The things that he's saying, he's getting no answers. The problems that he has aren't going away. It feels like my prayers aren't working. Here's the thing to note, though, folks. He still prays. He still prays. I mentioned this last week. It's, it's worth mentioning again. Because we pray, just because we pray a prayer of lament doesn't mean our problems go away. 
We need to know that prayers of lament don't always lead to an immediate solution. Aren't we just like instant people? Like I've said it before, my favorite appliance in my whole house, like my whole house, three floors, is my microwave. I want to put my food in the microwave. I want to set it to one minute, 30 seconds. I want to hit the button, start a minute and 30 seconds later. I want to be eaten. And we do the, I mean, we live life like that. It's an instant gratification. I'm in pain. I want to soothe myself. Lament doesn't always bring a quick or timely answer. Lament is not simplistic. It's not a simplistic formula. Like I can snap my fingers and all of the, the issues of my life are just going to like vanish. But here's what lament does. It invites us to keep praying, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, to pray through our struggle. It also invites us to pray our questions. That's what we see the psalmist do. Look at verse 5. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Uh, it's, it's just like painful circumstances to, to surface big and hard to answer questions about our lives, isn't it? Like you, you hit a roadblock, something Something happens that you that's, that's an obstacle for your for your life or perhaps someone that, you know, someone in your family. And it like it starts surfacing all these questions. I mean, that did God cause this or why are we experiencing this? Why is this stuff happening? Perhaps we even doubt God in those moments. And so the psalmist wrestles with why God is why isn't God doing more? Why isn't he doing more in the situation? Why isn't he doing more to move this out of my way? Why isn't he doing more for me, to comfort me? He's thinking and reflecting. He's trying to remember God's past mercies, his deliverances. But guess what? He's having a hard time recalling the things that God has already done. Like they're like fleeting. And so in verse six, he he looks deep into his own heart and he searches and searches. And it leads to some rhetorical questions. We see those Starting in verse seven, will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never forever? Uh, will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindnesses ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his anger withdrawn his compassion from me? I got to be honest, like you read stuff like this. This seems pretty dark. This guy is in a dark spot. Perhaps you've been there. So the question is, does this psalmist actually really believe that God isn't loving, that God doesn't care, that he's not going to keep his promises, that God, the God of the universe is unfaithful to him? I think the true answer is no. But this is a real situation for him where he's doubting all that he knows to be true. And that bears out in the rest of the song, but but here's what the, the, the psalmist does something very important here. In, in, in the process of him praying very honestly, and even in the pain and suffering of the moment, he's recognizing through his questioning of God that his emotions are not based on truth, but they sure do feel true. Have you been there? Like, I'm no stranger to lament. Uh, my life is, I mean, characteristically, my life has been a good life, but there have been moments where Man, life has gotten tough and I've had reason to grieve and cry out to God and, and ask God, like, Lord, I, I feel helpless and hopeless. 
where, where are you in this moment? Uh, one particular moment was uh, in 2005, 2006, uh, I was getting ready to deploy. Larissa was seven months pregnant. Uh, and this is int an interesting moment. I had, this was my uh, fourth deployment to Iraq, my third deployment in four years. So imagine that, my kids are, are young, my family's young. Uh, uh, this is that same time where we had moved uh, really uh, uh, on the spur of the moment from Fort Leavenworth to, uh, to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, so I deploy, uh, Larissa is, has, uh, is scheduled to have a C-section, delivery by C-section. Uh, my battalion, com my brigade commander tells me, because of your duty, I was a battalion commander, uh, you're not going to uh, be able to go back home for this birth. Uh, what, uh, what added to that is my executive officer, my second in command, his wife was pregnant as well. Our wives were due on like a day apart. And so uh, time comes for my executive officer's wife to have, uh, have deliver her child. They did. He listened over the phone. Time for Larissa to give birth to Zoe. I listened over the phone and talk about like freaking out. Um, Thank God for technology. I dialed into the hospital. They dialed me into the, uh, the room where they were going to do the C-section. And um, I'm sure everything was going fine. But I mean, you hear sounds that you don't normally hear. Like, I, I can't even describe the sounds. I'm like, y'all okay? Why is it so quiet? What's going on? Finally, I hear Zoe's cry. The baby's born. Larissa's okay. Life, I mean, all is right with the world. A day and a half later, Larissa contacts me. I'm still in Iraq. They put her back in the hospital. She has preeclampsia. She doesn't have to say anything else. She starts crying. I react and I start crying. And immediately, I didn't say this out loud because I didn't want to upset my wife even more than she was already upset. It was like, Lord, why in the world would you do this to us? You know I'm in Iraq. I can't go home. What am I going to do? I felt helpless. I felt hopeless. And all I could do was doubt that God cared for me. Now, was it true that God didn't care for me? I mean, God had given us technology. The baby was okay. Uh, she was at Fort Bragg. Larissa was at Fort Bragg. She was going to have the best care of the Army physicians and care that, that she could possibly want in, uh, in, in that situation. Not only that, we had great uh, friends and uh, family come around us and take care of our boys, take care of Zoe. I mean, there's some ladies from our church that uh, since Zoe couldn't be in the hospital with Larissa, uh, they would take Zoe every couple hours to the hospital so uh, Larissa could uh, feed her, by, uh, breastfeed her, and then take her back. I mean, it was, it was just, uh, it came together well. But did I feel like it was going okay? Absolutely not. What I knew to be true, that all was going to be well with the world, was not reigning true in my heart because of what I felt. And it's the same thing for this psalmist. And it's oftentimes when God brings us to these moments, if we allow him to, that's when the situation turns. Or even if the situation doesn't turn, at least our perspective turns. And this is where this psalm actually turns. Look at verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, the, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. Verse 12, I'll ponder all your work and meditate on all your deeds. Here's what this psalmist is, is showing us. In all that we feel, all the questions we have, there comes a point where we have to call to mind the actual thing that we do know. Like, like what do you know to be true? 
And the entire psalm shifts on this one word then. Last week, Psalm 13, it was the word but. But, but God is us. He, he gives us his steadfast love. This week, it hinges on this word then. Then he said, and he's speaking to himself. And, and what the psalmist is doing is he's looking back. He's reflecting, verse 12. He's meditating on the works of the Lord. This is what God has done to me, for me, in my life, like real things going on. God has come through for me. He's remembering, verse 11. What is he remembering? He's remembering the stories that he's heard about God's deliverance of Israel, of all the ways that God has come through for them, of all the ways that God has sustained them, taken care of them, protected for them, fought their battles for them. He's probably breaking out his manuscript, his, his journal, and he's, he's looking at his own, uh, the, the track of his own life of, of how I'm dealing with this right here and this thing is going on right here. And the Lord has forgiven him and responded to him. He's thought of the prayers that he's prayed and how God has come through. He's thought he's thinking of all the ways that God has made a way when there seemed like there was no way. And after he remembers and meditates on all of these things, these things that God has done, here's what he does. He shifts to consider the very character of God. Verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? When he thinks about the character of God, he thinks about who God is. God is holy. Holy means otherworldly, completely separate. God doesn't need us. He's dependent on no one. But then he says, uh, who is God? But what is God like? And he says, God is great. There's no greater superlative that we can use than great. There's no one like him, the psalmist says. Who is like you, O God? God is great. Verse 14, you're the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Think about that. Meditate on it. Linger there. Here's what he's saying. And he's saying this to himself. He said, God, the way that you do things is, is the right way. I, okay, so uncle, I, I accept that. I, I, I've thought wrong thoughts about you. I repent. I see how you've dealt with me in the past. I see how you've dealt with our people in the past. The way that you deal with us is the right way. Even if I don't feel like it. One author says, he meditates until... He believes and he thinks until he knows and he seeks until he finds and he prays until he's able to feel it in his bones. Again, we're instant people, aren't we? We're like we want to pray a prayer and get an answer. We want to present a problem and then get a solution like, all right, it's been four seconds. Come on, God, do something for me. Here we're being invited to linger. To, to, to think about what God has done and not lose God's, the, the, the pattern of God's track record. To meditate until we believe, to think until we know, to seek until we find the Lord and pray until we feel it in our bones. Not feel it from the emotional perspective, but feel it as in God is really doing this for me. And I think that's the way forward that this psalmist is showing for me and you. That's, that's our way forward. The psalmist looks back to remember how God has dealt with him so that he can walk in the future, trusting not his feelings, but trusting the God that he knows to be 
faithful. Here's the last thing that we can be encouraged by by this, by this psalm, and it's that we can pray the gospel. Pray the gospel. Verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Your, your footprints were unseen. God was there even though he didn't think he was there. That's what he's saying. Verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let me ask you, can you see what he, the psalmist is doing? He's recalling the greatest scene of redemption in the Old Testament. He's painting us a picture. He's recalling, he's thinking about himself of the ultimate moment that defined the people of Israel and their relationship with God. And what is that? It's the Exodus. It's when God uh, takes Israel uh, and saves them through great miracles and wonders and delivers them from 400 years of slavery out of Egypt. And then he brings them to the brink of this great, vast Red Sea. And then he causes clouds to come about and howling winds, and somehow he pushes that water up so that they could cross through on dry land. And so what's being demonstrated through his words are the turbulent nature of, of, the, of nature that made that miracle come about. He's recalling God leading Israel out of Egypt, away from their enemies and safely on the other side. And the cool thing is he wasn't there. He's envisioning the violent nature of this scene. And, and the question for us today, though, is what does he draw from that? Like, what is he getting out of that? And, and I think it's this. If God can shepherd his people through the Red Sea, then surely God can shepherd my heart through this valley of the shadow of death that I'm experiencing right now. Amen? There's a, there's a great irony for those of us struggling and looking for comfort today. And to be sure, we have some things going on right now for which we all need and want to be comforted. I said it like this last week. Some of us are, are really sensitive about the coronavirus. Some of us are indifferent. That's still going on in the midst of our congregation, in the midst of the people that we see out and about, to and fro. It is a real thing that we're having to deal with. Whether you think it's a big deal or not, it is a big, big thing. But here's the, here's the thing. The unfortunate thing is all of us were living life before the coronavirus happened. And so we have like our normal life and the struggle and the pain and, you know, all the things that happen in our lives, like underneath the surface of like this huge obstacle of the coronavirus that's like halted the whole world. And then this psalm gives us a world of comfort. And so the great irony is that we have something far, far greater to look back to that brings us comfort. In fact, we don't have to look back to it. We can look up to it. What do we look up to? We look up to the cross. The New Covenant believer runs to the cross, and there we find an even deeper comfort. Why? Because in the cross, it's the antidote not only to our own sin, but, but to the grief that we might be experiencing. Because, I mean, it seems that the, the time that we're living in, like, how do we, how, we can't even rescue ourselves from this. At least not as fast as we want to. 
And our grief is absorbed in the person and the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the gospel, folks. And so we find ultimate deliverance in the cross of Jesus. That's where all of our questions are answered. That's where all our problems are solved. The, the, the cross is where we take all of our heartaches and our pains. Why? Because the cross shows us that God has already proven himself to be far more for us than he would ever be against us. I love how Paul kind of sort of says that same thing. We've kind of worn this scripture out. This is a refrigerator verse, but it's just so appropriate. It's appropriate every week, and every week is appropriate. I'm going to preach it. Romans 8, verse 36. As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What's, what's important about Paul in Romans 8 in this verse is that he's quoting from a psalm of lament. Psalm 44. And, and you know what comes next. What comes next is Paul's going to proclaim the great promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. But before he says that, guess what he says? All right, this ain't looking good. Like, our lives are at stake. Some of you are going to get killed. Some of you are sheep getting ready to be slaughtered. Suffering is going to happen, and it may continue longer than you want it to. But look what he says in verse 37. This is so good. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, some of us just need to put that memory, that verse to memory. Carry it around in your pocket. Every time you're, that your emotions rise up and it tells you, all right, this is what I feel and this, ha- this, this, is, this is the most important thing going on, break that verse out and let it speak truth to you. The promise for Christians is as glorious as it is deep. Jesus bought the right to make everything right. And get this, even, even if we're killed all the day long, Paul says, even if we feel like, even if literally we are sheep going to the slaughter, nothing, no sorrow, no disappointment, no pandemic disease, no betrayal, not even death can separate us from God's love. That's God's promise to you, Transit Church. And why do we pray prayers of lament? Because prayers of lament ironically celebrate this truth, albeit with tears. Let me close with this. If we're doing it right, cries of lament are messy. They might feel forced and uncomfortable, particularly if you haven't done it before. But here's my encouragement. And this is the encouragement that this psalmist is giving us. He's saying, keep talking to God. Don't give up. Don't allow your fear, don't allow despair, don't allow perhaps your track record of of silencing, like zipping your lips toward God, cut off the flow of grace from him to you. Your pain can be a path toward God if you allow lament to be your new language. And and, and we halted the Daniel series so that you would learn to lament. Lastly, if you don't have the words to pray, Open up your Bible and pray the Psalms. I think that's why God put these words here for us. When we don't have the words to pray, he's given us uh, biblical characters 
who have been in circumstances and situations perhaps close to ours, perhaps far more dire than ours, and he's given them words to say, chronicled in the Bible, that we can repeat in our own situation. And so pray the Psalms. More specifically, pray and read out loud the prayers, the Psalms of lament. Lean over them. Let them open your heart. Let lament do its work in your life. Allow it to lead you to other aspects of this sacred song of sorrow. But whatever you do, don't stop talking to God. Keep praying. Keep struggling. Keep asking questions. Keep praying. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. I pray that uh, it would be helpful to your people. God, it would draw them to you. God, we're reminded in scripture, particularly in this psalm, that our, our hearts can sometimes lead us to feel things. And that feeling dominates how we respond to our lives. And I pray that what you uh, anchor us in your word and that, God, the, the, the words from our mouths would, would be a declaration, a proclamation that we speak to our souls. God's word is true. And so, Lord, we look to your truthful words, your inspired words, your words for us, that you have not left us, you have not forsaken us, even when it feels like it. Lord God, you're ever present with us. And so we thank you. You don't stop being our hope and our strength. Thank you, Lord God, that you give us words to pray when we don't have our own words. So I commend that to my own heart that we would draw near to you. Thank you that you're not a God that stands far off. God, that you're always pressing. You're always coming near to us. And so, uh, Lord, we stretch out our hands even now, particularly those who, uh, who may have given God the silent treatment. Lord God, we in faith raise our hands to you. We offer out the cry of our hearts and say, Lord, uh, I, I know what I feel. God, help me to know your truth. I start prayer. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.